Hello. <laughs> Isaiah 25, verse 8. He will swallow up death forever. He will swallow up death forever. To swallow is to take something into yourself and it's gone. It's done. He will swallow up death forever. The scripture tells us that death reigned ever since Adam and Eve sinned. Death reigned. And people today are still trying to beat it. They think if they have a safe enough car or lose enough weight or eat all the right foods and exercise enough, maybe somehow they'll be able to beat it. But we can push it away, but, but we can't beat it. And in many ways, death still reigns today. We see back in the garden that from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you shall die. That's where death came from. Death came from Adam and Eve's sin. Two kinds of death. That's when they began to die physically. God never intended them for their bodies to become corrupted and to die. But they also died spiritually. On that day, they were sent out of the garden, sent out of the presence of a holy God, and that for them was spiritual death. And death has reigned, and in many ways it still does. But in the, even in the first parts of the Old Testament, we see the very beginnings of spring. Winter is where everything looks dead, seems to be dead, nothing's growing. Those of us who have been up north know how wonderful spring is. Those of us who are total Floridians have no idea. <laughs> but those of us up north who have experienced that gray sky for three straight months or four straight months know what it's like when the spring isn't there yet, but you can smell it. You know it's coming, and you say, thank you, God. And so spring begins to happen in the Old Testament. It happens, first of all, with a guy named Enoch. We don't know very much about him. We're simply told this. Give us the next slide, if you would. I hope that's Enoch. Is it Enoch? Here we go. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more because God took him. For some reason, God only Enoch was a godly man. God chose that Enoch should escape death. He is the first person in Scripture to escape death. But there was somebody else in the Old Testament, too. He was the prophet Elijah, who was a godly man. And when it came time for Elijah to go to heaven, a chariot of fire came down and got him, and then he gets caught up in a whirlwind, and he's taken to heaven. Springtime is coming. There are signs that death is going to be defeated. It's not defeated yet. <clears throat> the prophet who, who succeeds Elijah is Elisha, and we see Elisha doing something that had never been done in Scripture yet. This is around 800 B.C. or so. There is a young boy who is ill and he dies on his bed. 
And the mother says, go get Elisha. And Elisha goes and lays down upon the boy. And the boy is raised back to life. And so way back 800 years before Christ, we have a resurrection. And then when Jesus comes into the picture, resurrections seem to be all over the place. Uh, He and his disciples are heading toward a town called Nain. And there is a funeral procession. How many of you all know what Jesus always did at a funeral? What did he do? He he messed it up. That's right. He uh, he raised the person from the dead. All right. So in the funeral procession, there is this mother who has lost her son, weeping uncontrollably. Jesus says, "Stop everything." He goes over to the body of the son and he raises the boy up. Resurrection. Around that time, there is a man named Jairus who has a daughter 12 years of age. I cannot imagine what it would be like to have a daughter 12 years of age who is dying. Probably there are some of you in here who have had an experience like that. I have never had that experience. But he runs for Jesus. He's heard about Jesus, of what Jesus can do. And he says, please, please come to my house right now. My daughter is dying. And Jesus says, well, let's go. And they get about most of the way there, and servants come running out of Jairus' house and say, don't bother the master anymore. It's too late. She's gone, and she's dead. And Jesus keeps on going to the house. He goes up to her room, gets everybody else out, but a few of his disciples. The girl is lying there. She is dead. She is on the bed, and Jesus looks at her, and says these words, Talitha kum, which simply means little girl arise. The girl gets up. She was dead and she immediately comes to life. How much power does Jesus Christ have that he can look death square in the face and just speak words and cause life to come into a person? That's who Jesus is. And then the most, perhaps the most famous resurrection apart from Jesus's is Lazarus. In this case, Jesus allows Lazarus to stay dead four days. His sisters have called for Jesus when Lazarus is sick, saying, hurry, come, he's about to die. And Jesus stays away intentionally so that Lazarus will be dead for four days. After four days, the body is totally shut down. The organs are useless. They are decaying. Four days is very, very, very dead. And Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus and he shouts to the tomb, Lazarus, come forth! And you know what happens. This man who is full of bandages rises up from the dead. He was dead four days and he comes out of that tomb. Spring is on the way. Death is starting to lose its reign. And then, of course, there is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was killed on that cross for us, bearing our sins on that Friday. And then Sunday morning, he rises from the dead. Now, I've got a couple of questions for you. Why aren't we celebrating the resurrection of Lazarus today? Why aren't we celebrating the resurrection of Jairus' daughter today? Why is this all about Jesus' resurrection? 
What is, if anything, so different about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that it becomes the centerpiece of human history when there were other resurrections? And there are two great differences between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all the other resurrections. When we look at the boy that Elijah raised up from the dead through the power of God, when we look at the, 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 the mother's son in Nain who Jesus raises up, when we look at Jairus' daughter who Jesus raises up, when we look at Lazarus who's dead, all of those who were raised up <clears throat> were completely passive. They had nothing to do with their own resurrection. But when we come to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's very, very different. The Scripture tells us a number of things about the resurrection. It says that God raised Christ from the dead. But when we hear that, we have to remember who Christ was, is. He's God. So to say that God raised Christ from the dead means that Christ participated in His own resurrection, though He was dead. Jesus told the disciples, I will rise again. That's active. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is different from all other resurrections in that Jesus Christ is a major part of the resurrecting itself. Somehow he who was completely dead is resurrected through the power that he has. You say, well, Gene, how do you explain that? And the answer is, I can't. I can't begin to explain it. I can only tell you that Jesus Christ was God, and that's what God can do. But there's more to the resurrection of Jesus than that. <clears throat> when the little boy that Elijah raised from the dead, when he lived, he died again. Jairus' daughter died again. The little boy in Nain died again. Lazarus died again. But when Jesus' body was raised, his body was raised incorruptible, never to die again. Do you know what that means? That means that all the way back from Adam, death was winning and death swallowed people. Death ultimately swallowed everyone. But in Jesus Christ, for the first time, there was a man who ultimately and forever swallowed death. Jesus Christ is the eternal death swallower. And so that sets his resurrection, that sets Easter apart from any other day or any other event. Well, we may say, well, that's great. What's that got to do with us? How, how does that affect us? And the answer is this. When we place our faith in Christ, just as He died for us and we take His death on the cross for us, He also rose for us and we take His resurrection for us as well. Let me explain what we're talking about here. Let me take you to John eleven twenty five and 26. This is just before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He's talking to the two sisters, Mary and Martha. <clears throat> You've heard this verse before, I'll bet, but let's take a good look at it. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. <clears throat> he didn't say, I'm the resurrector, although he is. 
He didn't say, I'm the one who resurrects, although he is. He said, I am the resurrection. You may ask, well, pastor, could you please explain that? And the answer is no. (laughs) No, I can't. It's way too big for me. My mind can't begin to get around that. But Jesus Christ himself is resurrection. That means that Jesus Christ can go into any dead place in my life and he can bring resurrection power into it. There is no dead place in my life or your life or anyone's life that Jesus Christ cannot raise up if that place is surrendered to him. He is resurrection and he is life. He is the opposite of death. Just as he is light and the opposite of darkness, he is life. Jesus Christ is the anti-death. Jesus Christ is the anti-death. But let's go on. He then says, he who believes in me. Well, what does that mean? Let's stop for a second because Satan himself believes in Jesus in many ways. The devil believes in Jesus. The devil believes that Jesus was born of a virgin. The devil believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The devil believes that Jesus died on the cross. The devil even believes that Jesus rose from the dead. So what's it talking about here? To believe in Christ is to trust my life to him, to surrender my life, to repent, to offer my life to him and say, Jesus, I trust you as my personal Lord and Savior. Lord means I believe you rose from the dead and I give you control of my life. Jesus, from now on, I'm following you. Maybe not perfectly, maybe I'll stumble, I'll get it wrong, but by and large, I am following you, and when I foul up, I'll confess it and get it right. That's the Lord part. The Savior part means that I believe that Jesus Christ died for me on the cross. He took my sins on the cross. Why in the world he would do that for me is beyond me. But all of my sins were placed on him. And so I have hope. I can have forgiveness. He who believes in me, he says, will live even if he dies. So Jesus acknowledges the reality of death here. But then he says something that I have struggled with for many years. He says, everyone, not some, but everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. What in the world is he talking about? I bet you've seen Christians die. I've seen Christians die. How can he say, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die? And the answer to that is just wonderful. Listen to the scripture here from John chapter 3. If I can find it. He says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Hear that. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Not will have eternal life. Eternal life is not something you get when you die. Eternal life is something you get when you receive Christ. And so you as a Christian have this life within you. It possesses you. You possess it. It's yours. And death can't touch it. Did you hear that? You have a life within you that death can no longer touch. Death does not reign over eternal life. Perhaps over our bodies it does for a little while, but not over eternal life. So so I can say to you, the Bible can say to you, that if you live and believe in Christ, you will not see death. That is, you have eternal life. 
that when your body dies, the eternal life just keeps on going. Physical death does not touch it, cannot touch it. And then we see in Scripture, in the Revelation, that when Jesus Christ returns, death is finally swallowed up forever. And there is coming a day when there will be no more death. And in that day, the death that is our physical bodies that are in the ground because of death are raised, and our bodies are raised in the same way that Jesus' body was raised. Not in the way that Lazarus was raised. Not in the way that Jairus' daughter was raised. Jesus was raised incorruptible. And our bodies will be raised incorruptible never to become sick, ill, no pain, and never to die again. That is what Jesus Christ offers us. That is what the resurrection of Christ is all about. That is eternal life. But the question we must ask is, the question I must ask, and I pray that you would ask is, Do I have eternal life? You say, well, if I've been going to church all my life, if I've got Christian parents, if I was baptized, if if I'm good, if I do more good than bad, then I must have eternal life. But that's not the case. Listen to the Scripture, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. That means I deserve eternal death. I deserve physical death because of my sin. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God. Did you hear that? There's a gift. It's free. Is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So eternal life comes to us as a free gift. Or it doesn't come at all. Because you'll never be able to earn it. It's a free gift. That's why Jesus rose from the dead. So he could give you a free gift of eternal life. And it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's only in Christ. It's nowhere else. You can look everywhere else you want to. You only find eternal life in Christ. And so this morning, I want to ask you the question, have you received the gift of eternal life? Have you? Do you know it? You know, a gift is something like if I, if I want to give somebody a gift... Until you receive it, it's not yours. I may want to give it to you. I may get on my knees and beg you to take it. But until you take it, it's not yours. So I want to give any of you a chance who may not have taken the gift yet to receive that gift right now. The gift of eternal life includes a relationship with God. It includes forgiveness of sins. It includes a brand new life. And that's why Jesus died and rose again. He didn't just do it for the fun of it. He didn't just do it because he had to. He did it so he could give you new life. So would you pray with me? Lord, there may be some here this morning, and I pray that there are. In fact, Lord, we've been praying for weeks about this here at church. That there would be some here who have not yet received the gift of eternal life. Maybe they've thought about it. Maybe they just figured they always had. But they, as they look back over their life, they don't remember a time they've received the gift. So right now, if that's you, you say to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, I have sinned. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross and took my sins. 
And Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead for me. And now, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart. And I will follow you forever. Amen and amen. Now, I'm going to ask you, if you prayed that prayer, don't be ashamed. Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of them before the Father. He said, but if you confess me before others, I'll confess you before the angels in heaven. So let me just ask you a quick question. If you prayed that prayer, would you just put your hand up quickly? Who prayed that prayer? Anybody? Yeah. Praise God. (laughs) Glory to God. We're going to ask you to do something else too. When the service is over, when communion's done, there's a yes table over here. You've said yes to Jesus Christ. We have a bag and a gift and some material we want to give you. So when communion's over, if you would just, we're going to have someone, where's Dana? Dana's going to be standing by the table. She'll have a gift for you. Just make your way over there when you can so we can give that gift to you, okay? But right now, it's time for dinner. And church, I got to tell you something. We got something better than donuts. We really do. Because the body of Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ are shed for you.